Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host, and joining me is Dr. Mark LaRocco Esquire. How are you doing, Counselor? I am doing well, Professor Terry. I, um, <laughs> I'm glad that we're using our honorific um, titles. You know, speaking of the Dr. Esquire thing, I've heard that you can buy a, a, a square foot, I think, of land in Scotland and become a lord. I, oh. There is an ad for it. It's like a Christmas gift you can give people. So you could be okay. Lord Professor, Lord Adjunct Professor Joshua Terry. That would be, that would be something. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, speaking of selling land and real estate, I came across an interesting piece of news that uh, actually connects into today's theme, this episode's theme. Mm. Did, you, did, you, did you hear about this? No. Well, I don't know. Okay. Tell me. Maybe so, I did. So, so they are selling, the owner, the current owner is selling the Goonies house. Oh, up in Astoria, okay. $1.7 million. Oh, wow. Okay. And, of course, I'm guessing that that's marked up because of the notoriety of the property. But what I, what I find interesting is that if you have, you... have you ever been there? In the house? Well, not in the house, but like in the neighborhood. No. Have you gone to see it? No. I've been to Astoria, but I didn't know you could even go to that neighborhood. Well, that's the thing is you kind of can't oh. because once you start getting close to the house, you start seeing these signs all over the place saying no trespassing, no parking, do not bother the Goonies house. Like, cause you kind of have to go up a little extra kind of like side road to get up to where the house is at. Yeah. And there's just, it is very, I was, I was there five years ago and you know, just kind of started heading in that direction. And yeah, lots of signs, very, very unwelcoming. Hmm. So I don't know. It's kind of one of those funny things where you're thinking, okay, well, if you're that bothered, maybe you shouldn't own a famous house where a movie was filmed. Yeah. You that, know, yeah. If it's that, That's true. You know, and, and like, I guess I can sympathize with people who live in the neighborhood who entered the neighborhood before the movie was made. But like if you moved into the neighborhood after knowing that just like a couple homes away is the Goonies house, I don't know. Like it seems like you can't really complain in that case. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. So there's only like a certain portion of the neighborhood that I would actually feel sympathy for in this regard. But anyway, one way or the other, they're selling the house. So if you got 1.7 million and you're looking for uh, you know, a place in Astoria, <laughs> I do like Just Astoria. Know. I've been there a few times. <laughs> the, and other movies have been filmed there, like Free Willy and uh, I think Kindergarten Cop. Um, oh, okay, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I remember being there in the 90s and learning about a few movies. I Probably since then that more have been filmed there. But yeah, that it's, it's, a, it's a really pretty, really cool place. Yeah. No, it's, it's a nice little area. I, uh, I've been there kind of coming to and from Cannon Beach. Mm, yeah, um, seaside farther south. Yeah, yeah, I've been to those areas too. That they're they're really good cool. times. Well, so so the reason that this is relevant, I mean, other than just being kind of interesting movie trivia news, uh, is because one of the men behind one of the, I guess the I don't know if he was executive producer or producer or one of one of the many minds behind Goonies, not the director though, because that was Richard Donner, mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And we just saw a Steven Spielberg movie, a new one called The Fablelands. Um, and so this episode 
is going to be pretty much 100% Spielberg O'Rama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Um, cause we were, I remember when we recorded the last episode, we weren't entirely sure if we were going to put something out for the, uh, you know, for the week of Thanksgiving, but we saw this one on Monday and I know, I know that, you know, we've already kind of talked about this a little bit and I think both of us have some, some interesting thoughts on this one. Um, so let's just, maybe we should just get right into it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So the Fablemans, uh, the new movie from Steven Spielberg, he is the director and he's kind of the star in a way, because this is, this is a largely autobiographical film that is not presented as a quote unquote true story, or even, it doesn't even have the disclaimer that says this is inspired by a true story. Um, but it's pretty transparent that this is an adaptation of his life story. Um, just kind of changed over so that the family name is the Fablemans. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, so it's, it's something that, you know, based on what you were saying has been in the works for a long time. I guess it's something he's wanted to do for a while, but it more or less just kind of traces uh, the childhood. So, so his on-screen equivalent is a character named Sammy. And we see him as a young child when he's first getting interested in making films because he goes to see the greatest show on earth and a train crash scares him. And so his mom, played by Michelle Williams, uh, decides that, oh, well, you should you should recreate this scene on your own using, a, using your own film camera and then maybe you can kind of get it out of your system. And this kind of leads, you know, from one thing to another. And so he has this blossoming love of film while his we also kind of see what's going on with his parents. His, his mom is very, very artistic. She's a piano player, singer, uh, dancer. Uh, Paul Dano plays his father, who's much more kind of straight-laced. He's an electrical engineer, very, very brilliant. And there's tension in the family. There's tension with Sammy because his father doesn't really support his his filmmaking efforts. And it just kind of traces through, you know, pretty much through his early, what, like just out of college, I think is about when the, when the storyline wraps up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and I guess that's one of the things that you and I were talking about when we walked out was how close is this to Steve, to Spielberg's actual story? Because for one thing, there are some very, very memorable scenes that you kind of wonder, wow, is this something that was just made for the movie or is this something that is based on, you know, reality? Right. Um, but you found you found an article that uh, that filled in some of those blanks. What did you What did you think of that? What did that, What was your takeaway there? Well, so yeah, I, I did. I first of all, I I've heard it described as semi or semi autobiographical, um, which right. is a common thing that directors are doing now. It just is happening a lot. You know, like like a Quaron with Roma, uh, Kenneth Branagh with Belfast. Apparently, Alejandro González Iñárritu has a new film called Bardo. These are all films that have some autobiographical or semi-autobiographical elements. Even I've heard Richard Linklater's new film, uh, Apollo Ten and a Half. And so uh. it's nice. It's kind of cool, I guess, that Spielberg, who's sort of the ultimate, the master, you know, populist filmmaker, finally decided to do one. But I, I was reading in a Spielberg movie, a, a Spielberg book, a few weeks ago. Um, that was written in 2012, that this is a movie that has been in his his brain for a long time. Like, he's yeah, been wanting right. to do it for a long time. He just says he's been too chicken to make it. But it's a very important <laughs> story with deeply personal events of his mom, dad, and three sisters. 
Um, and so I was, I was, I had really high expectations like of this movie. And I, maybe that was part of my problem. I, I was just like, I was expecting, I, I, you know, one of the greatest movies of all time. And alas, <laughs> it didn't turn out to be, but it's still very good. Um, I, I was really happy to find out too, that many of the events depicted in the movie were, were just dead spot on. Like that's right. really what happened according to him, according to Spielberg. And some of them, there's even one, you know, famous event in the movie. Well, I don't know if it's famous, but it's, it's an event that, um, is basically verbatim the way that Spielberg remembered it. And it's, it's kind of a, a show stealer. Um, right. Two great right. cameos. I, I loved, uh, and I really, I thought the actor Gabriel LaBelle who played the more the teenage and older Spielberg, well, I'm saying older, but because there's a young actor that plays basically like a six year old version of Spielberg. And then there's right. like a teenager that the actor was great. The, the older one that is in most of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And then one thing that I keep wrestling with, uh, what did you think of Michelle Williams' performance as as his mom? And it's Sam. I yeah, mean, I say Spielberg's mom, but you know, in the movie, it's Sammy's mom. You know, our stand-in for Steven. I know it's it's almost like we have to just kind of make that clear that we're just going to kind of refer to things as right uh, in, in in relationship to because it is it's, it's hard his for story. Me not I to. mean, this is about Steven yeah. Spielberg, and so kind of injecting all of these other characters and stuff and names and roles just kind of seems beside the point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no. So, so I don't know. Cause I know you, you mentioned earlier when we were talking that, that you weren't too crazy about her performance. Right. I, I don't know that I had issue with her performance so much as the storyline and kind of the, the presentation of her story and perspective and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that, that a lot of this is, is Spielberg trying to reconcile his relationship with his parents. Yeah. I mean, we already know that if you, if you kind of paid attention to his career, um, I know that ET was not obviously not supposed to recreate any kind of events from his youth, but it was, it was largely a, kind of a a way of dealing with divorce yes. you know like the even even that that you kind of peel back the surface a little bit and et is a movie about a broken family that's coping with divorce mm-hmm. and and so so he's already been working with this and and that's a lot of what the fablemans is about is him kind of working through his parents divorce and you sense that he's you know he's a grown grown man he's trying to understand the perspectives of his each of his parents um as i understand it he initially blamed his father for the divorce found out a little bit more about it realized that his mother had actually left his father Mm -hmm. but here in the movie he's trying you can kind of sense that he's trying to do justice to both of their perspectives and anyway so so yeah, but but and so so my my issue was more in the way that he seems to be kind of talking his way around some problems mm-hmm. and less with Michelle Williams' performance exactly. But you but you seem to well here's like the performance itself. Yeah, and, felt and, like yeah. And t- well, let me talk about the divorce part first. So in terms of that, I, I agree with you. I've heard that he he was actually estranged from his father for a time. I don't know, ten or fifteen yeah. years and. And the family, and he had three little sisters, which are which are all in the movie. 
they did blame the father for the breakup of the of the marriage and then la- learned out later that the father sort of protected the mother still loved her even like even years after the divorce um and 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 like they had to learn later that it really was their mother's decision and and that's that's depicted in the movie and but i think steven really and and this is just actually a common thing of children of divorce is he he doesn't you know doesn't really want to lay the blame just completely on one person. Um, sure. And it's almost like it was an inevitable thing. It had some issues with maybe they weren't a good match in the first place. And so, and, and he, ha- he has a good relationship. It's not like he has a completely like strained relationship with either of them in the movie. Um, but right. I, I think he does try to, it's almost like a tribute to his family um, and kind of saying like reconciling with maybe some of his, the demons of his childhood. Um, and, yeah. and like you mentioned, it's it's interesting how so many of his movies have uh, a, like either a broken relationship between a, a child and parents or a dad who you talked about E.T. where, you know, the dad's absent and it's it's a divorced family or Close Encounters where the dad basically leaves the family. And even yeah. even later films have it, you know, in in like uh, like War of the Worlds, you know, it's it's Tom Cruise has an estranged relationship with his kids and kind of spends the movie yeah. reconnecting. I mean, he's a divorced father in that movie. And, uh, uh-huh. and it's just very common. And in the book that I read, the Spielberg retrospective, he, the Richard Schickel is obsessed with this lost boys theory that almost all of Spielberg's movies have a lost boy or lost boys in them. And of course in hook, they're literally called the lost boys, <laughs> but like in right. many of his movies, you can go through them. And I mean, ET himself is a lost boy. He's like a lost alien, you know, separated from uh-huh. his mom and Empire of the Sun, the whole movie is about a lost boy, basically, played by Christian Bale. Right. And anyway, it, it's really fascinating how this seems to be a recurring theme that Spielberg just is either can't get away from or he's obsessed with, and, and maybe part of it is subconscious. And and I, I wonder if he was torn. There was a sense of being lost when, when the family was, you know, fractured. Now, and he was older, and I, I think he mostly escaped it unless it was just a horrible marriage for a long time. But, you know, I think in the movie it's more depicted like it happens when he's an older teenager, uh, you know, and the girls. Yeah. Are um, well, from, from that article that you sent, I don't know that everything exactly lined up in terms of the timeline, but yeah. effectively what happened in the movie is pretty much what happened in real life. It's very, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I so, think- well, and we, we should also mention that, and this, because this is another thing that is in the movie that is a reflection of the real life the the reason or one of the reasons i guess one of the, the like the catalysts for the divorce was uh that the mother fell in love with you know like the husband's best friend or the father's yeah. best friend mm-hmm. and he's he's played by Seth Rogen in the movie um and and so you know and i think that it's portrayed as kind of a discreet thing like it wasn't just straight up infidelity but there was just like this real powerful psychological bond between them and an mm-hmm. affection that eventually did break up the marriage. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I, I guess that's the trouble with, you know, because after I read that article you sent me, I just thought, okay, well, if all of this is, is true, why didn't he just say this is based on a true story and leave it at that? Like what's, what's with all of the, you know, the, yeah. the new names and all this stuff, because it seems like it's so close that I don't understand why there is a need to even pretend that it's not, I, you know, I, pretty directly inspired by his own story. I kind of wonder, here, here's my thought on that. I thought about this because most of the time 
you want to build something as a true story based on a true story. It usually brings people into the theater. Oh, it really yeah. happened. Cool. And, and, and filmmakers famously do it all the time, even when, you know, most of it is bunk. Right. And, and in Fargo, the Coen brothers did it as a joke, you know, which it was oh, right, completely right. fake. So it is, but I think when you're actually literally dealing with your own family and you're going to cast your parents and your sisters and, if you were going yeah. to use the names, then I think you would feel a special responsibility to get it like a hundred percent right or have them yeah. maybe be kind of angry at you or be like, why'd you put that in there? Why that? So, so, I mean, everything is not, you know, I'm not going to say fictionalized because really it's just changing uh -huh. the names, but I think he's like, you know what? People can think what they want. I'm just going to put the real stuff that I think is relevant and important and use different names. Yeah. And, and everybody knows, I mean, anybody who even just reads you know, the, the two sentence synopsis of the movie, I think knows that it's, it's based on, and I right. would almost even say more than based on, but you know, a recreation of his young life. And of course you, we haven't even really talked about this too much, but it's how, how he got started and interested in, in movie making. Um, uh -huh. you know, that's, that's really what a lot of it's about, but it did turn into more of a family drama, I guess, maybe than I expected. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, and then let me, sorry, we, we kind of mentioned this, but we didn't finish. So the Michelle Williams performance, I haven't seen her in a lot. Of, I've seen her in a lot of things and I've, I've liked her. I thought she's been great. And I feel like she's probably one of these actresses that's due for an Oscar. You know, she's been nominated before, but never won. But like her performance, there was a slight New York accent. And I guess she was originally from New Jersey, but that most of the movie there, you know, there's several moves, you know, they have to relocate a few times, but yeah, but yeah. then her her manner of speaking was so affected and, and it was like, it, it was as if I, I've heard it say like, you know, the, the best actors can overact without getting caught. And I feel like I caught her. I'm like, I'm just okay. so fully aware in many of her scenes that this is that she's acting. And then I kind of thought later, I'm like, maybe I need to give her the benefit of the doubt. And Steven Spielberg knew that. And is like, Hey, this is how my mom was. This is how I viewed my mom when I was a kid because she was the artist. She was the performer, the pianist, the actor, the one who maybe sort of felt repressed by, you know, the family life that she felt like she had to be in and not just, you know, moving around places. Maybe she didn't want to move because she's doing it for her husband and supporting his career, but also maybe not being with the man she loved. And so, she makes up for it by acting and doing goofy, silly dances and voices and <laughs> buying a monkey and all kinds of things. And so, and, but for me, it was just, it, there was just a little bit over the top. And, and, and I thought maybe that's the performance because I'm hearing the buzz, like this is going to be the main, the front runner, you know, not just for best picture, but for best actress. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, and it's funny yeah. because for me, I, I was, and maybe I'll watch it again and be a little bit less annoyed by her performance and just accept it for whatever, <laughs> whatever she's doing. But yeah. Yeah. If, if you are having to accept the performance, I have a tough time thinking that that's a best actress performance or a best actor in a female lead or whatever the, the term for it is. Right. Yeah. At, uh, yeah. And I, See again, I don't I didn't even know if I could attribute this to the acting so much as the directing, but I I know that early on in the film it seemed like the whole thing was very very glossy and very ide idealized, right? There was mm -hmm. a very conscious decision to try to make this oh, this is kind of like the fond, you know, glossy 
you know, looking looking through, you know, uh, uh, rose-colored glasses of my my wondrous youth and stuff, which is yeah, you know, which is fine. It's just it seemed a little bit unique for for Spielberg because I I honestly don't know that I've seen another movie that feels the same way, mm-hmm. um, which of course isn't surprising because this is totally unlike anything he's ever done before. Even though he's explored these themes, this is this is the first you know. Yeah personal adaptation whether you officially call it based on or inspired by or whatever um this is you know like you said i think i think that i would still say that overall this is a good movie and i would recommend it and i i also would expect it to be up for a number of awards yeah Um, i think it will be it's not Mm -hmm. yeah but it's not going to be on my list of favorite spielberg movies that's for sure there there are some things about it that i don't know some things i really really liked there's some things i really didn't like very much overall i would say that the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff pretty pretty clearly but i don't know it does there were some things i wasn't crazy about here and and it does change its tone a little bit too interestingly like at one point the movie turns into almost like a high school comedy coming of age story and and has some silly maybe that don't fit other parts of the movie like I, I don't know. There was, there, but then there, but then there are some genuinely really funny moments in it. Um, and yeah. and I, for me, that's classic Spielberg. I mean, he's got lots of funny moments and dramatic moments, and he likes to have a good story arc. Um, he doesn't usually just do like a slice of life movie or a here are some vignettes of of what happened with this character. You know, like it's it's he likes to tell a story. He's always been that way. Um, yeah. and the other thing that I kind of liked, and I think I got out of the movie, or maybe I. I I hope I was meant to is because it presents his dad and Paul Dano. I don't know if we've mentioned him. He's, he's the father, he's the engineer. He's, he's really smart. He's working on some groundbreaking stuff and, um, in his, his field. And then you have, of course, the artist pianist mom, and you kind of think it's a perfect blend of what gets poured into Spielberg as a filmmaker, right? He loves to be a problem solver. He's really smart. He likes to, do his own effects, figure out his own special effects and, and, um, make things that work, you know, and, but then he also, he's making art. He's, he's, you know, expressing himself through art. And so it's kind of cool that even though the parents marriage didn't work out, he, maybe he got the best of both of their unique, uh, you know, attributes and characteristics that has formed, uh, you know, developed his, his filmmaking skills. Um, right. You know, and so I, I thought that was pretty cool because, yeah, he, he I, you know, maybe that's something he's trying to convey too as well. Like, hey, appreciates what he got from from his parents, and and the movie really is about them. I feel like as much it is about him. I mean, it does uh-huh. finally, and I guess in that third act, it really kind of it's more about him. But it seems like the first two thirds of the movie, his mom and dad, especially his mom, have you know, way more lines than he does. And I, I could be off, but it just, it felt that way. You know? Well, I think what you're describing is the challenge of, of, of using real life material, right? Mm-hmm. Is that it doesn't always fit cleanly into a cinematic formula, like yeah. a three act, you know, clear protagonist versus supporting characters type of thing, you know? And, and, if, and maybe that's one of the things that I would criticize is it feels like, because he's trying to cover all of, you know, check all of these boxes on his life and upbringing that the film doesn't feel as kind of tight or focused as, as some of his other works that he had the luxury of 
designing a little bit more. Yeah, you know that could be, um, and, and maybe he knew that. He's such a brilliant, smart filmmaker, and Tony Kushner is almost his assistant. You know, his, his writer now. He's helped him with several movies. In fact, I think he wrote or co-wrote West Side Story last year. That maybe they realized, like, this is just not a typical Spielberg movie. Like, he wants to have these scenes in. I believe it was pretty long, maybe two and a half hours. And yeah, um, even yeah. if some of them are a little side, you know, maybe don't fully fit a narrative, like very tightly, like it's like, Hey, this is what happened. And this is something I've always wanted to show on screen. And um, I, I mean, I do think, and I don't want to spoil it, but there are two really great cameos uh, in the movie, you know, one near the middle, one near the end that are just to me, like two of my favorite parts about the movie period. Um, yeah, and, no. and those were were real. Apparently, like I was happy to find out that right. that th- those happened. Um, you know, discussions yeah, about the, art and the scene, the scene at the end, which we probably don't want to comment on just because right. it's at the end. And yeah, I mean, it I, doesn't spoil anything per se, but it's it. There's enough of a build to it that I think people would appreciate it most to be able to just enjoy it mm-hmm. in the moment. Yeah. Um, that is the scene I think people are going to take away the most. And then the one, the one that you mentioned that happens a lot earlier on also, uh, you know, involving another family member, correct? If you're, yeah, referring right. To, exactly. Referring to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, those, those are both great, great scenes. Now, the other one that stands out to me as, as a really great memorable scene and a, and a very signature Spielberg move, something that I would say connects to his style is, um, I mean, without going into too much detail, the, the relationship between his mom and dad is something that, that Sammy slash Steven kind of discovers through his filmmaking efforts. Exactly. And, and at yeah. one point he has to confront his mom, his mom with what he knows. It, yeah. And, and there's this scene where Michelle Williams is watching footage that Sammy slash Steven as, as, and, and so it's a great performance right there. Like that's, that's a moment that I really appreciated. I I did too. Yeah. Because instead of seeing what she's seeing, you were just watching her watch it Mm -hmm. and, and, and her varied reactions as one thing leads to another. But then what's great and such a signature move is that that's what Spielberg is known for is that look on people's faces, that look of wonder, the wide eyed. Yeah. You know, you're you're looking at something incredible, or in this case, something that is heartbreaking, incredible, and, and then turns, yeah, yeah, turns heartbreaking, <laughs> right? So, so that that was the thing. I would I would say that in addition to those two scenes that you mentioned, uh, that's that's the one that I mean, if if Michelle Williams is going to get uh, get a nod for for best, you know, because she if she's going to get an Oscar nod, I, my guess is that it's coming from from that scene maybe specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no. And I mean, as we talk about this, I can give a whole list of, well, these are things that I like. These are bits that I like. These are characters that I like. These are scenes that I like. These are little moments or shots or whatever that I liked. But then there are a handful that I wasn't crazy about. And so it, it feels like the sum total of everything is less than its parts individually or what's whatever. I just, I totally messed up that that expression, no, but like yeah, the, I know what you mean. The, the sum, the sum is less than the total of its parts. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, so I would put, I would, I would 
definitely say The Fablemans is good and worth seeing, but I would probably put it more in the middle of of the Spielberg catalog as far as best all-time efforts and all that. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't put this on on his top 10 list or anything like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. I was thinking it's middle. It's middle of the pack for me, but probably maybe slightly above middle. Um, I, I just, I guess I'm just so used to just getting swept away by a great story with amazing effects. And, and, and you're just, you're fully aware the whole time. Like this is his, he's telling yeah. me about his life, you know, when he was a boy and a teenager. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's interesting because I kind of think, you know, how it really does in award season is going to depend on if it really takes off, you know, with the public. Because West Side Story, uh, shockingly to me anyway, did not. It really underperformed at the box office. It still got a lot of nominations, it won, won an Oscar. You know? right. But like, I, I, that was one that I thought was really, really good and thought it would do better. And for some reason just didn't. And maybe there were enough people that were waiting for, you know, Disney Plus. They were like, I'll just do it there. But um, yeah, it, um, I don't know if this one, how this one's going to play. I kind of sense it's not going to do super well, but I, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe it, maybe it does really well. It doesn't um, strike me as the kind of movie that's going to make a huge box office because it's, it's not a repeat viewing type of movie. It's a drama. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's more of an awards season awards bait type movie than a blockbuster holiday yeah you know christmas day let's go pack up the family and go see this so i would be pretty surprised if it did i mean i could see it doing well for its category but Mm -hmm. i don't think its category has a high ceiling yeah yeah We'll have to see. I mean, I know he's obviously very well respected around Hollywood. He has won a couple Oscars already, but maybe he'll, maybe there's a, there's just enough people who love him and want to reward him, you know, one well, last time. Call me, call me a cynic, but at the end, by the end, it is a movie about making movies, and Oscar people love movies about movies. They do. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure at the very least there will be several nominations, which I think are earned. I mean, I think this is a good movie yeah. and I think it, I think it deserves some recognition for, for certain things. Yeah. Um, but even aside from that, I think that the, the subject matter will give it a leg up in ways that others might not. Mm-hmm. That's true. So, hey. so speaking of, speaking of ranking Spielberg's movies, uh, you you had the idea that uh, that we needed to uh, we needed to square off and have a little Spielberg draft to to see if we could I don't know because we're not really ranking I mean I guess you could say indirectly we are ranking his best movies by doing this but um, we're gonna we're gonna have a movie draft the same way we had a what was it the year draft like the mm-hmm. I mean, th- th- in that yeah. case it was like all the movies from that year here we're just going to draft spielberg's films now and we're specifically talking about the films he's directed correct right yeah we're not going to do the produced okay. films because i you yeah. know like back to the future or whatnot so right, right. I, I would say we stick to the director uh films um and he i think he has around i want to say like 30 something 
Um, yeah. Yeah. It's in the thirties. Yeah. So like, and we're just going to do 10. So we'll obviously leave some out cause we'll have a total of 20. Right. Well, my, I'm guessing that the interesting result from this experience will be identifying not the ones that you and I chose because I mean, let's, let's be honest here. I think we probably like a lot of the same movies and yeah. probably dislike a lot of the same movies. It's, it, I think it's going to be interesting to see which ones don't get chosen. Right. Because we're, we're probably only going to draft a little more than half of his movies. Mm-hmm. And, and so the ones that are left out, that's, that's going to be the surprise yes. that I'm, that I'm looking at. So, uh, is your idea? So I think we just go ahead and let you okay. go first. I'll, I'll go just first. The two of us. So yeah, you, so you go ahead and uh, here get we go. This thing cracking. Okay, so um, I I was I'm just trying to decide if I should pick strategically and pick something that I think you might pick first, but I decided just to go with my heart um, as number one overall Spielberg, which is Jurassic Park, um, and it's I think it's like you know it's my favorite. I, I don't necessarily believe like it's his you know, objectively uh, greatest movie or, or most uh-huh. important movie. Um, but because it's just my favorite, it's a longtime favorite. And I've, I've talked about it on this podcast probably a half a dozen times. I So I probably don't need to say much more. Everyone knows what it is. It's, you know, it was the great blockbuster yeah. of 1993. I think it was the number one movie of all time for, for a few years. Um, and amazing special effects, you know, melding like practical effects with, computer graphics and a great mm-hmm. story. I loved the book. Uh, it got me into a lot of Crichton. I read a lot of Michael Crichton books. Um, okay. And uh, anyway, yeah, so that's, I, that's just my number one overall. So I'm, I'm taking that off the board. That's, that's my, that's my <laughs> LeBron James, my number one overall. That's, that's pick. your LeBron. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Well, if you're going to pick LeBron, then I'm going to go back a little earlier and pick Michael Jordan. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to take Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, I knew that. I knew you were going to do that. That that was well, definitely I, on my list. Yeah, I mean, I figured that I figured if you didn't go with Jurassic Park, you'd go with Raiders, but technically I believe Jurassic Park was one of your top 3. Yeah. So, I I was crossing my fingers that you'd go there. No, so, that's that's I I thought you know, I, I actually had that. I thought about that even like an hour ago. I was like, I should probably pick Raiders. But I, you know, like that's probably a better movie. I mean, I think it's, to me, it's maybe the greatest action movie ever made. So, yeah. um, you know exactly well, where, what's happening. Every action scene, there's no question, like based yeah. on the angles and the editing, like exactly what's going on. And, and so many action movies today are just kind of confusing, you know? Um, at least sequence by sequence, you're like, oh, did right. that guy just get punched by that other guy, or who had the gun, or or it's too dark to really figure it out. And I think Raiders is just expertly crafted and directed. Yeah, yeah. I I would venture to say that, and I you know I don't know that I need to attribute this, but there's a there's a YouTube guy that i'll watch every once in a while and he's he's actually a, a music guy uh, rick beato is his name and a lot of times when he does these lists he'll always like he'll get to the top five or the top ten and he'll say yeah these last ones are pretty much interchangeable anyone could be number one anyone could be number ten they're all just you know yeah and i i feel the same way about as i'm looking over these spielberg movies you know the the top five mm-hmm. for sure 
are pretty much interchangeable. So, so Raiders, as much as I love Raiders, there are probably two or three other ones that I would be perfectly happy to take first. But, but Raiders is probably the one that I would elevate above all of them. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's the one most likely for you to take, so I better get it now or I'm going to lose it. Okay, so you got Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. So I got Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, so I, yep. my, I'm on number two, and I'm going to go ahead okay. and pick probably my favorite war movie, which is okay. Saving Private Ryan. I think that's, a, a, you know, the first 24 minutes sort of has that famous, brutal, gruesome storming of the beach at Normandy yeah, scene right, that right. is just... Uh, it's hard to watch. Very realistic. Lots of soldiers die, and it's based on truth. Uh, and and Spielberg said he he felt guilty about how much fun he had directing that movie. He was talking to Tom Hanks about that, and uh-huh. and he also said it was a gift to his father and his father's generation. That movie was so it was kind of another one that he had, he'd wanted to make that kind of a movie for a long time. And when he he got the script of it, it was just like exactly what he wanted. Um. Anyway, basically about a group of soldiers that have to search for Matt Damon, Matt Damon. or Private Ryan and Again. Uh, bring him back because all of his brothers had died in the war and, and the U.S. government just realized how horrible it was for that family and how bad it looked that this family would sacrifice all of their sons in World War II. So uh, Captain Miller's, I think it's Captain Miller played by Tom Hanks, he has to assemble a group of guys that have to go track down and bring home uh, Private Ryan, say Private Ryan. So it's a great one. It yeah, was yeah. the big one in '98, and it won Best Director, um, but not Best Picture. Uh, some people right. think because of Harvey Weinstein that Shakespeare in Love won, but yeah, Private Saving Private Ryan is a better movie, and so is Life Is Beautiful, for that matter. I, I don't, I don't think Shakespeare in Love was a good <laughs> winner. <laughs> I uh, well. I haven't talked to a lot of people about this, but I don't get the impression that there are a lot of people who disagree with you on that part. Yeah. Um, other than the, apparently the Oscar voters from 1990, what was it? 1998. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so for my next pick, I don't know. So the only reason I'm doing this is because we're calling it a draft mm. because it almost seems like if we're drafting a team, that we're thinking about matchups and mm. corresponding. Oh, okay, I think films. I know where you're going. Because yeah, well, because <laughs> so so if you're if you've got Saving Private Ryan, then I almost feel like I need to go with kind of the the corollary or the correlating. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since I've been in math. The the corresponding film, which would have to be Schindler's List, right? Yeah, because it's 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 another kind of it's it's more about the Holocaust, but it's still kind of World War Two era. You know, different different perspective. You know, so it's it's very much, you know, it's it's not a war film. It's more of a drama, but it's. I mean, I just, I think of Schindler's List and Save It Private Ryan as two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think that if we're if we're building teams and drafting teams, that it wouldn't make sense to have one team have both Saving Private Ryan and Schindler's or yeah. vice versa. You see what I mean? Yeah. Even though I would not say that Schindler's List is my second favorite Steven Spielberg film. I was hoping to get that. You're you're drafting smart, I believe, because I I know I I can tell you're like at least with that pick, you're not really going like with your heart because yeah. <laughs> I, well, no, it's not. I mean, you just said it's not your second 
favorite uh, well, Spielberg film. And this, but but again, but this is this is why because I think that if we were to just list independently our own top ten to top fifteen, yeah, they would probably be the same movies yeah. in different orders. You're right. Yep. And that's and that's why I think the real interesting takeaway from this is going to be what do we both leave out? Yeah, exactly. Because because I mean I think there's some obvious ones. I'm pretty sure nobody's taking Tin Tin. Um, right. I haven't even seen it, so it doesn't qualify <laughs> on my list. Yeah. Me neither. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. You know, but uh, yeah. So okay. Thanks. So you're you're up. You go ahead. Let me and go feel ahead. Feel free yeah. to uh, steal my heart from because I, you know. Well, I think I know what you're you would pick, but I'm gonna try to be. This is interesting because I could grab it, but I'm no. I'm, you do. You go ahead. Well, no. I'm trying to think of what movie I genuinely like better, and I think. Um, I think I got to go with the one that started all and go with Jaws. Okay. Um, I, I did rewatch that recently. Last year it was on Peacock and it, it still holds up. I, I mean, I, it's so funny, you know, um, he had so many problems with that darn shark, Bruce named after his lawyer that right. Spielberg had to do a lot of workarounds where he, there were planned, there was, you know, planned scenes showing the shark and they couldn't do it. And so there was a lot of this more suspenseful filmmaking where you have hints of the shark. You'll see a fin or an eye or whatever instead of showing the whole thing um, because it just kept breaking down. And it turned into a better film for that, I believe. Um, Almost more of a Hitchcockian style because, you know, if you can create the tension and the fear and the imagination, you know, play with the imagination of the audience, sometimes that's better than than just straight out showing something. Um, uh, And so I I think it's great. It has a lot of great lines. Um, If one one great clip to go ahead and rewatch, like on YouTube, is the USS Indianapolis tale um, told by the uh, Quint uh, about what happened in that, because that's that's pretty true i have read the book on that in harm's way um by stan a guy named stanton and boy that's that was a scary moment and it involves a lot of sharks eating soldiers you know after after the sinking and so um but that's that's a really cool kind of monologue that's stuck in the in you know probably about halfway or maybe a little past halfway of in jaws um but yeah i mean it, it it's a great movie and it kind of was it, it kind of invented the summer blockbuster in a way, you know, and, and it got a best picture, not, yeah. not best director, but I mean, it was like, it was the movie of the summer in 1975 and probably the summer movie of the entire seventies. Um, so that's my pick for number three. Oh yeah. No, that's a good one. That's a good one. And I, I, I know I've said it before. I might've said it before on this podcast, but the thing that, I have to remind myself of because you see the movie enough times you just start focusing on, like you say, those like the Indianapolis scene with all the great acting and, you know, and the little details and the little little character nuances and all that fun stuff and the great dialogue. But you almost kind of have to remind yourself. And the best way to do this is to watch it with somebody who hasn't seen it before. Jaws is scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a great, great, horror mil- horror movie you know it's a, yeah. it's a great scary scary fun movie and that's a good point i will i will never forget watching that with a group of you know a group of friends a bunch of them hadn't seen it before 
And I'm, you know, just like you say, I'm thinking about, oh, that's such a great monologue about the Indianapolis and, oh, they're joking about their tattoos and they're singing sea chanties and, oh, that guy's jacket looks so ridiculous, you know, with all of the anchors on it. Uh But then when you realize, oh, wait, they don't know what's coming. They're uh-huh. not gonna, they don't know that that head is about to go floating in front of the hole in the boat, right? Uh-huh. Or, or, yeah. that, or that, uh, that Brody's out chumming and the shark is just about to stick its nose above the water and, you know, like yeah. five feet away from him. So right. And then you have that, that great scene where he, he jumps up and he has that worried look on his face, you know, and yeah. he shows him for a second. Like, you can, tell, <laughs> you can see the fear in his eyes. And then, I, is that where you get the bigger boat line? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, he he backs he backs into the cabin. Yeah, and he's still he's he's like backing up. He's still staring straight out the back of the of the boat, and he says, "I think you're going to need a bigger boat." <laughs> yeah, or we're going to need a bigger boat or whatever it is. So, uh, what, yeah, one of the yeah. most famous lines in movie in movie history. Right. Right. Yeah, I like Jaws a lot. I, it's it's a fun one, and I um, gosh, it's it's probably a good rewatch every few years. And, and that's the thing too. Especially if you can find people who haven't seen it. If you can, if and this yeah. goes for anybody listening. If you have not, if you can find someone who has not seen Jaws, or bless your heart, if you haven't seen Jaws, it is such a fun experience. So such a fun experience. One thing to mention too is it, it is a horror movie. I mean, I, I know maybe yeah. some people don't quite classify it as horror. It's it's not a slasher movie. It's not a psychological horror. Doesn't but, have to be a slasher to be a horror movie. It's a horror movie. But I mean, Spielberg works well in different genres because I mean, did he ever really make another horror film after that? You know, I it mean, depends. That's that's actually a question for a potential choice I might make okay. down the road. <laughs> I, well, then, then then we can do that because I I, I th- I'm looking at all of his movies and I'm like, this is uh, maybe his only true horror movie. But why don't you go ahead? You're at number three. Uh, okay, so this well, this is this is yeah. not the one I was referring to, but my number three has got to be E.T. and and E.T. could absolutely still be my number one Spielberg movie. Yeah, between between that that one or Raiders of the Lost Ark, and man, like Jaws, Jaws is right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of these, the the ones that we have picked so far, I've I've got my list in front of me on my on my little computer screen, and I'm kind of checking them off as we go. Yeah, we're 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 picking all the first ones I wrote, you know, because okay. I just I just wrote them down from memory until you know I got about halfway through the list, and then I had to open up IMDb. But but all these ones we're talking about are the top ones, and, okay. and ET, I am very happy to be able to put that one on my on okay. my team. I don't I don't know if I don't know if ET is. The starting pitcher, or the first baseman, or the, or, or the center, or the quarterback, or whatever. But uh, no, ET ET's with me. It's good. You know, other other lists I've seen of of Spielberg films. I'm pretty sure that. Well, I'll just say that your list right now is is generally higher rated among critics. Um, but but oh, like, yeah? but I have seen a few that will actually put Jaws basically at number one. You know, yeah, which, which I, is high, but I, I don't, I don't have it there. Um, I, but yeah, ET is. E, there's really another, like we said, another lost boy. We talked about the divorce, uh, you know, family of divorce thing. But man, there is just so much magic, childlike wonder, and I loved showing that to my kids. Such a great movie to show kids. Um, yeah. Oh. Uh, I was I one of my highlights this year and might be a highlight for several years was taking two of my nieces to see ET in IMAX this year. Mm-hmm. Holy cow! Such a fun, fun, yeah, 
I mean, you, you just was, see it in their eyes. Else. The kids will put themselves in the place of, like, Henry. And, boy, how would uh-huh. they deal with that? Would they be able to hide E.T. from their mom? Would they have that <laughs> psychic connection? I mean, it was just, like, it's so good. Um, yeah. Okay, so I'm at number All four. All right, you are, you are up. Yeah, I'm about, I'm about ready to take a left turn, but I... I do. I want to try to win the draft. Um, See, I have a, I have a recommendation for you, but you go ahead and pick, and no, then, I'll, then I'll tell you if that suits your recommendation. My recommendation. I'm gonna pick. I don't. I don't think this is a, maybe a normal pick this early in the draft. But I, it's again, I'm kind of just go with my heart because I love this movie a lot, and I'm okay. Minority Report is my number four. Oh, I, okay. I find this movie to be it's it's. Um, I mean, it's like a, it's, it's an action movie. It's a who, I don't know who done it, but it's a, uh, I guess kind of is a who done it. Like how did it happen? Kind of a thing. Um, it takes place in the future, which I'm all, I'm a, I'm a big sucker for future movies. I think it, it came out in 2002, but it takes place in 2054. And there are these special, uh, you know, these precogs, they call them precognitive right. humans that have these abilities to predict crime, uh, murders mm-hmm. before they occur. So these are used by the government to actually stop murders by arresting the would-be murders before they occur. So there's due process and constitutional concerns here. And Tom Cruise plays, uh, I think his name is John Anderton, and he's one of the... Yeah. He, yeah. he, he helps you know arrest these, these people before the crimes occur, and, and the program is under investigation. And then the plot really gets set in motion when he finds out that he himself is supposed to commit a murder and he has no idea who or when or why or how. And so a lot of the movie is sort of a kind of a frantic, frenetically paced chase to figure out uh-huh. what's going on. Cause he sort of becomes a fugitive again, maybe like a pre fugitive, you know, a fugitive for a future crime and um, just really virtuoso filmmaking, lots of great scenes uh, that, I, I, you know, again, I think Tom Cruise is probably the best action star of all time, maybe. And this is just one, another one of just another exhibit, you know, for, yeah. for, for that case. Um, and I, I liked it. Uh, I, I don't know if I would say a return to form, cause I don't know if Spielberg has ever really ma- made a movie quite like this. Um, but definitely again, uh, along with Raiders, I mean, one of the best action movies I think I've ever yeah. seen, but a lot of the cool future, I, I love movies that show just little, glimpses and pieces of technology in the future and sometimes they get things right sometimes they don't but i mean that's just you know watching the corners of the frames in this movie the backgrounds the targeted ads like when people walk into a store the Uh moving pictures on paper newspaper you know that kind of stuff is just that was just a lot of fun i bet spielberg and his team had a ball designing this stuff for Um, sure so yeah, that's that's my number four, and I I think it's a little okay. bit of an unusual. That pick, is a surprise. I yeah. didn't expect that one. Yeah. Um. So so I am not choosing this one strategically because I don't expect you to choose it anytime soon. Okay. But I would feel kind of dumb if I didn't make sure that I got it on my team because I have some very particular connections to this and, and need it so i'm going to go with close encounters of the third kind oh that was that was the, see i was thinking of that i i, I was uh thinking that would was that still be available one? well yeah but i i went with a uh, minority report but i mean for me it yeah. was it, they were they were about the same but that's uh okay yeah why don't you talk about that one yeah so so close encounters you know 
This is one of those movies that I get the sense that our generation is very familiar with, but people younger than us, no. Because I just, I don't see it referenced very much in conversations and discussions mm -hmm. and, and, you know, memes and the vernacular and all this kind of stuff. I, and I think it's kind of taken a backseat to Jaws and E.T. and Raiders and all those. And so, so this one was 1978. So this was a year or it actually, it might've been 77. So it might've been the tail end of the same year that Star Wars came out. Anyway, the sci-fi movie. Uh, Richard Dreyfus, you know, who is who is in Jaws, returns um, is a different character. He is uh, is it Roy, Roy Neary? I think yeah, Roy Neary. Yep. So so he has a close encounter with a UFO, and he kind of becomes obsessed with these visions he has in his head, and he, he just starts kind of seeing these things. And in, in his anyway, he he is one of several people who is eventually drawn to this place. Uh, which is Devil's Tower in Wyoming. Um, I'm giving away a little bit here, but Devil's Tower is the reason I have such an affection for this because it's a, one of my absolute favorite places and wish that I could get there more often to take pictures and hang out because it's just such a wonderful location and great vibe. And Anyway, so it's really about kind of, you know, dealing with obsession, dealing with you know, kind of fulfilling your destiny and then kind of the nature of UFOs and dealing with, you know, aliens and making contact with, you know, a, you know, beings from another world and all this kind of stuff. And just, you know, it, it fits in so well. If you, if you watch it alongside the other Spielberg movies from this era, it just fits in perfectly. It has, it has the same kind of energy and spirit and enthusiasm. And you even mentioned earlier that the way that, Dreyfus's character treats his family is a reflection of a much younger director who probably wouldn't do the same thing mm -hmm. if he were to do it over again. Although some of my favorite bits in this movie are just the family interactions because they they show the chaos of you know just family life and you know I, I remember the the one point the kid like jumps in his kid sister's bassinet and grabs a doll and starts banging against the side of it just at random, just for yeah. no apparent reason, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and I just, I just love the, this is the chaos of normal life type of thing. And, and so close encounters, well, plus, plus my parents swear up and down that I look just like the little kid who gets abducted at the beginning when I was that age, when I was just like, like three or four years old or whatever the kid was. So, so there's even that too. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, great pick. I I like it. I mean, I we were showing it to our kids a few years ago, and it got to be so scary that Holly made me turn it off because I think the kids were uh, getting scared. There's a is, scene in there that yeah. reminds me of Poltergeist almost, where okay. the house is shaking. There's strange yep. red lights. The child is getting pulled out of the house, and it's just really scary because if you'd imagine like watching it let's say you're a five-year-old kid and you're watching a movie where a kid is getting uh abducted by an alien or right. you know um it, I, I mean and it's a lot of it is the special effects but again they're practical effects for the most part and um it's uh it's got some yeah it's a cool it's a cool movie yeah i, I didn't think about that but it is kind of about obsession and um yeah you know, like this sort of obsession that maybe curiosity that all of us have to an extent about what is out there. 
like, is there really something out there and is it worth exploring? But obviously, as, as Spielberg has said, it's not worth leaving your family over. You know, he could remake yeah. the movie as an older director and just have a different ending, you know, or something. Um, but yeah. But, I, but at the same time, him leaving his family is part of what kind of creates the atmosphere of just insanity. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, if, if this was, if he doesn't have to make a sacrifice to go after this vision of his then where's the tension? Yeah. Right? He's just... Because the character... I mean, the, the protagonist has to have obstacles. It's just that they don't make him a particularly likable character or, or sympathetic character, but it's still a very, very vivid portrayal of mm-hmm. manic obsession, right? Yeah, so, it is. It is. Yep. Okay. Anyway, not, not, not that right. I'm trying to justify anybody leaving their family in pursuit <laughs> of vain UFO visions, just, just yeah. for the record. All right, I'm going to make a little bit of another left turn. This wasn't my next pick, but then I just realized I I forgot until just a few minutes ago. I read this book. So I read the book of this okay. film. I even learned things in it. I loved it. Um, I remember learning the, the term lapis lazuli because the author describes Elsa's, Elsie's eyes as lapis lazuli eyes. And I don't know why I remember that because I seriously read this book like over 30 something years ago but um this is indiana jones and the last crusade okay um, i feel like i had to get an indie movie in there i know that's what i was gonna say i was gonna <laughs> recommend this like dude you've got to get one of the indie movies because yeah. and it's got to be last crusade because let's be honest the other two are just not nearly as good so they're they're not but for me i'm one of i'm one of the uh, temple of doom stands i'll admit i i know I, like I like temple of doom but just it's, fine um but, but yeah, this one is cooler. Others. It's got Sean Connery. You go back to the Nazi time, like in the first Raiders movie, you know. And, uh, and you know, they have kind of a fun rapport, Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. Um, yeah. And and it's it's a great one. Yeah, I've, I've, I rewatched all these in the last few years. Actually, I didn't watch the fourth one, but I went through all the Indiana movies. And, again, where I really I want to show them to my kids, but it's just they're little bit too violent still you know but yeah probably but they're great probably yeah and and unfortunately there is a fifth one being made it's there's all kinds of rumors that it's not going well and the uh, test audiences have been unhappy and they've changed the endings i don't know how much this is true but i was reading uh, about what's happening with this movie and it's not looking too promising and it's actually not directed by spielberg it's uh, james mangold Who's done okay. like Logan and Ford versus Ferrari? I was gonna Ferrari. say he did Logan, right? Yeah, yeah, and Ford versus Ferrari, which I loved. I haven't seen Logan, but I loved the uh, Ford versus Ferrari. That was a fun one. Um, anyway, yeah. So I'm going with Last Crusade, uh, the third in the uh, Indiana Jones yeah. quadrilogy or quintilogy or whatever they call it now. This should have been the last one. Should have mm-hmm. been the end. Okay. Yeah. All right. So so because you took took last crusade which again i was going to recommend because it just you know if we're yeah. if we're trying to have balanced teams that can actually compete against each other with this draft i think we have to do that yeah now now this one so if if last crusade is off the table then i have to this this is where i'm wondering if we can bend rules if we can i'm going to submit this to you okay. and and see if you allow it what would you think about me drafting Poltergeist? Oh, okay. Um, I guess that's fine. So it's a non non Spielberg directed movie. 
Well, but that's um, that's the thing because if it's if we're just because we can't we can't open things up to anything he has produced or executive produced, right? Because that's just going to kind of blow the lid off it. And for one thing, there's going to be twice as many movies to look through, and each of us would already have picked Back to the Future by now for sure. Yeah. The reason I'm suggesting Poltergeist is because of the long-standing rumor that he was the secret director of this movie and that Toby Hooper did not actually get to direct Poltergeist. And oh. having seen it recently, this feels so much like a Steven Spielberg movie that I'm inclined to at least consider the rumor to be true. Okay. Yeah, I, because of that, I was not going to allow it, but I'd never heard that rumor before. You never and heard that? So, <laughs> since that's the rumor that you're telling me now, I will go ahead and allow it and make an exception. I know it's also so, you know, a 1982 movie like E.T., and I guess that would be your horror movie, right? Other than Jaws? Right. That's um, that's the one I was going to say, was like, because yeah. that's got to be considered a horror movie. Oh, and yeah, and I sure. will I will just be upfront right now because if you know I, I think we've toyed with the idea of posting these posting our finalists online to see if see who wins and so I'm guessing that I will lose some votes because people will argue that this is not technically an eligible film oh, but okay I'll take the chance then we'll definitely the include it. it yes that's your number five <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, I'll even I'll even put an asterisk by it because. Okay, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and. Like thing. Okay, go I'm ahead. Go ahead do, go next. Yeah, I'm going to do a movie that is a favorite. This was kind of fun because when uh, when my wife and I met and got married, we had a, you know we had our own separate DVD collections, and this was a movie that we each had. So we have two okay. copies of this on DVD. We both really like uh-huh. it. A true story, um, which a lot of the Spielberg movies, at least early, you know. 70s 80s were not true stories but this is a 2002 same year as minority report and i think was this the first time he worked with leonardo dicaprio um catch me if you can yeah um yeah i wondered if you were going to take that one yeah i i'm taking it i really like it it's it's just a fun kind of romp through uh you know another kind of chase fugitive movie obviously based on the title but also, you know, it's a sort of a fun, like, wink at the audience title, you know, like, very obvious. Um, and uh, it's about a guy named Frank Abagnale Jr., who was one of the great con men of maybe the 20th century, who uh, pretended to be a French teacher, a doctor, a pilot, a, a bunch of different things. And he got away with it temporarily, um, even a lawyer. Uh, and it's got Martin Sheen and Tom Hanks is the the FBI agent who's trying to track him down, and it's a it's another Lost Boy movie. <laughs> He's and and you know a div- uh, struggling marriage with his parents. His dad is played uh-huh. by Christopher Walken. Um, so yeah, and and it's it's more of a lighter fare. I mean, it's not a super serious movie, um, and it's not a. I don't even know if it was. I, maybe it was. I can't remember if it was nominated for anything. It wasn't really like an Oscar bait type of movie, probably. Uh-huh. Um, but it's 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 fun. Lots of little good lines and uh, kind of an interesting, like jazzy score by John Williams. Not a normal John Williams sounding film score. Um, yeah. So yeah, I like that one quite a bit. Cool. Okay. So so my number six. So. From this point on, 
it's kind of a crapshoot. Okay. Like there are movies like there. So I'm not going to have any trouble filling out my top, my 10 choices. Right. With movies that I like. But from this point on, I can't say that they are all movies that I love. Yeah. Okay. Like I feel, I feel like we're we've kind of gotten into a, a range where I wouldn't necessarily buy these for my own collection. Yeah. But, but they're all, they're all good. And so, so with that, with that backhanded compliment leading things off, I, I am going to go with Empire of the Sun for my number six. Oh, okay. Um, which is a movie I absolutely like. In fact, I think I do have it on, on original DVD. I haven't picked it up on Blu-ray yet. And it's hilarious just because Christian Bale is just so, so darn young. He's mm-hmm. just this kid. So I think yeah. he's about our age. Mm-hmm. And this was, what, the late late 80s when this, when this one came out. Probably, I, I, I would have to say something that is very, very overlooked as far as, you know, you don't think of this as one of Steven Spielberg's movies when you start naming off Steven Spielberg movies. Yeah. Um, but it is a good one. It's, a, you know, another World War II era. This is this is a kid. Um, he, he's separated from his family. Uh, he, now, he's in China, right? Like, he's yeah. not in Japan. He's, he's in China, but it's like occupied China. Mm-hmm. And just, like you say, kind of a lost boy type film. Yeah. Um, and uh yeah empire of the Sun. Okay. If, you, if you haven't seen it definitely recommend it it's a good solid movie yeah probably one you haven't heard of yeah i i guess and we're getting more into the the, the lesser known picks because <clears throat> that's the first movie that you picked that was not in my original top 10 well not really? counting poltergeist but yeah your top four were were in there I and mean, that's <laughs> one reason i think they were smart picks because i was i i think um I mean, you have a really solid list, and this is this is a great movie. It kind of didn't perform super well, but it's got some really beautiful scenes in it. Um, like the movie, the cover of the movie with the sun and the kid in the yeah. you know in the bottom, like right. silhouetted, holding the airplane. Like that's cool, and he's mm-hmm. obsessed with flight. He's obsessed with these airplanes. Um, I think was that his first movie? I might have been his first, or at least his first star. Christian, Christian Bale's. Yeah, um, I would think so. I'd be. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but I'd be surprised if it wasn't. Anyway, yeah, that's a, that was quite a find. Uh, okay, so I am yeah. at number seven. Um, yes. I think I'm ready to just go ahead and pick. Uh, maybe this is another offbeat choice because it's the first time Spielberg ever even made a musical. But I'm going to go with West Side Story. Okay. Um, that just came out in 2021. I'm filmed. Kind of, I think it was finished during the pandemic, and they delayed it a year. Released it last, I want to say last December, um, and then it was, you know, very critically acclaimed. Got a lot of accolades, but did not perform well at the box office, and still won Best Supporting Actress. But I, I'm one of those, I guess, rare people who I, I liked it better than the original, which was a, considered one of the great. Hollywood musicals of all time. Um, and, uh, yeah, the songs are wonderful and you, you get introduced to a new actress, Rachel Zegler, who's playing Maria. Um, uh, you know, you, you have the return of Rita Moreno, who's Valentina. Um, she sings, I can't remember if it was tonight, tonight, but one of the main, um, songs, sorry, am I thinking of somewhere? Anyway, I can't remember, but she um she does well in it and it's extremely emotional um you know if you've seen the original you know the story there's key deaths in it and it is it is based on uh you know it's like the romeo and juliet story set in 
uh, I want to say 1950s New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he loved it. I read, I heard that Spielberg, that was like the musical he, uh, he listened to it with his family and he was little, like they listened to that, that record. And it was a it was sort of a family favorite when he was very young. So he always, he always has liked it. Um, yeah. but yeah, I thought it was, I thought it did, did well. And it, it had a shot at best picture last year too. I mean, there was talk that it, that could be, you know, mm-hmm. that could actually win. Well, it was a good movie. It was a good movie. Yeah. I, I am traditionally not a big fan of most musicals. I did enjoy this one. Um, I don't remember enough about the first one. For one thing, I'm not entirely positive whether I've seen the first one all the way through. I know I've seen bits and pieces of it because you just, yeah, you just do, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just kind of it's part of the zeitgeist, if that's you know the right mm-hmm. way to use that word. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I I definitely I definitely wasn't planning on picking this one. So so you're <laughs> yeah okay you I are you are welcome to it. But I didn't think you would, movie. but I felt like, yeah. well, I might as well get it. Cause I mean, it's, it's to me, definitely a top 10 Spielberg for, for me. And so I'm like, I might as well just get it now. I mean, it would yeah. be closer to 10, I guess, eight, nine or 10, but, um, right. I, yeah. So because now, now I'm feeling, you know, now it's becoming a question of, okay, so I, do I just now pick my remaining favorite Spielberg movies or do I need to beef up my lineup <laughs> because they're going to be compared you know because like i said i mean i i have picked the ones that are nearest and dearest to my heart and you have picked the ones that are nearest and dearest to my heart that i didn't pick yeah so what is left is kind of like the best of what's remaining yeah and so i'm i'm kind of conflicted I'm, I'm torn between at least two or three and and i'm thinking strategically and and what the heck? I'll be a sellout. I'm going to get Lincoln. I'm going to take oh, Lincoln as number dang seven. Dang it, man! That's yeah, that's amazing. You really did. You really love. I mean, how much do you love no, this movie? No, I don't love you, it. Oh, okay. I, um, I it's good. It's good. Yeah. I think there's lots and lots of speeches. Um, uh-huh. But but the I mean the acting's incredible. Yeah. And and so and I, I recognize it as one of his his better movies. I can't yeah. say it's a favorite, but the ones that Honestly, the ones that are left for me that are favorites, mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to pick. Okay. So I think I think I, I keep, can roll the dice a little bit and go with keep, one that uh, <laughs> I might keep be a little more that, contested. But then, I keep thinking that, but then you keep doing it, and I. It's funny <laughs> because like. Hey, I, you're the one who wanted to do a draft. You're the one who made this a competitive thing. So oh, no man, griping. This is so good. No, no griping. I think, I think you're you're winning the draft. This is so funny. Like I'm. Okay, so I'm going to go with. Um, uh, I I think this is really Spielberg's first deliberate, intentional foray into Oscar territory, and it's okay. the color purple. Um, and I I liked it. I saw. I probably didn't see it till maybe the early '90s. I was, you know, kind of a I budding seen it. movie lover. Um, it's pretty. It's kind of hard to watch. I mean, it's it's kind of sad. Um, and it was based on a book that came out. I don't think it was too long before that. Um, but the the Whoopi Goldberg and Oprah Winfrey. I mean, surprisingly, and maybe I should say surprisingly because they're 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 super talented, but they just are amazing in this. Danny Glover's yeah. in it. Um, there's a scene I remember where you feel like such tension where you think that a character is 
and deservedly so. I mean, it would be justified is on the verge of killing another character with like a shaving razor while shaving them. And I remember just watching that scene like on the edge of my seat and, um, you know, because there's a lot of, it's, it's one of those just like poor people kind of suffering movies and it's not so much about, uh, it's not like about racism as much as people think. Um, yeah. And, and it was, and there was some criticism at the time that even Spielberg was the one directing it because it's almost entirely a, a cast of black, you know, actors and actresses. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was really good. Um, and it was, it was funny because that was another big year for him. I mean, I think Goonies was 85. Back to the Future was 85. He produced those. Um, and if I remember right, it got a lot of Oscar nominations, but didn't win any. Uh, yeah. So. Well, I, I remember it the way that you describe it, which is that this is the first movie where Spielberg was saying, I am not just about the summer blockbusters. I can make a serious movie. I can make a movie that's, you know, a drama mm. and it can win awards. And yeah. And, yeah. and, and right. And there's this, I mean, I don't know if it would be even more criticized now for the fact that he was directing this subject matter. Yeah. But I want to say that even at the time it seemed kind of people kind of raised their eyebrows like, okay, oh, yeah. well, there, you know, obviously well intended. This, this does right. seem like an odd, odd fit. There were a lot of people that didn't think he could do it and some that didn't think he should do it. And I, I, I really think he pulled it off and I don't even know what it did at the box office. I, I didn't check, but I think it was, it was probably respectable, but, um, yeah, he, uh, you know, but it, it was definitely a, di- a different, it was a detour for him at the time compared to every movie that he had directed up to that point. This was, it's not, you know, in his normal, is in his wheelhouse, I guess you could say. But it's, okay. yeah, it's a good movie. Okay, so I'm ready. Here's here's my number eight choice. Now, I am not expecting you to pick this one, but I'm still going to go ahead and take it now because okay. I want to make sure that I get it. Okay. You mentioned earlier that you were going to go very back to the very beginning with Jaws. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go even earlier. Oh. I am gonna go back to a movie that he directed, which I believe is technically a TV movie. Okay. But, holy cow, if you haven't seen it, totally worth it. Very, very underrated as far as people just haven't heard of this thing. My number eight pick is going to be Duel. Okay, wow. that That's, yeah, I wouldn't have expected that. And I couldn't even pick that. I haven't seen it. So that's the first movie okay. on your list that I haven't seen. Okay. Um, so that's, I guess that's kind of a horror movie, right? I mean, like a truck is chasing yeah. down a guy for no reason. It's, well, yeah. it's suspense, right? I yeah. mean, and, and yeah, it's, I mean, the basis of the story is this guy is in this little red, you know, I'm not even sure if it's four doors. It might even be a two door little, little tiny car, econo box. And he's driving out in the middle of nowhere and he gets stuck behind this big semi. And so he tries to pass the semi and then the semi passes him and things just escalate to the point where like the semi is tracking him across the desert. And it's so cool because it's just this very simple concept where you never see the antagonist. You never Mm -hmm. see, you know, I, I don't know if that's giving away too much, but like, that's kind of the idea is that he's this anonymous villain and so the bad guy is the truck 
the, yeah. the, the antagonist is the truck. And, mm. and so, yeah, just a, just a great one. I mean, I, just like you mentioned, I mean, you didn't think of this one. I, I don't think most people would put this on their top Spielberg lists, but if you've seen it, you might give it a, a second thought. So, yeah. Okay. So I, uh, I'm, I am happy to be able to include dual on my list. Okay. Number eight. Cool. Number okay, eight. Number nine. Right. What you got? Well, I'm, I just realized I got to go with a nostalgic pick that I, I mean, it's, I know this movie definitely has its flaws. Even Steven Spielberg himself doesn't love it, but I'm going to go with Temple of Doom. <laughs> okay. It's, I no, mean, that's because, it yeah. It was so, it was really good. I know it was extremely grotesque and violent, and it's, it helped lead to the PG 13 movie. And he said, uh, he said, you know, the only two good things to come out of that were the PG 13 rating and my wife, because that's where he met <laughs> right. Kate Capshaw, who plays uh-huh. Willie. Um, so he, even, even Spielberg, he realized, you know, later, at least later that it was, it was too dark. It was darker and more violent than he wanted. It was less fun than say Raiders. Um, and it's not about the Nazis. It's a totally different setting, but I mean, so many cool action scenes like the, um, the mine, uh, the rail, uh, what do you call it? The little rail car that goes through that mountain. It's almost like yeah. a ride at Disneyland and the, the bridge, scene where people are falling into the uh the water below where they're alligators and there's all kinds of scenes in it um Mm -hmm. uh, that are to me pretty pretty memorable and pretty scary and you know there's a there's a banquet scene and and i think in in thailand where there people are eating all kinds of gross things that should be inedible such as monkey brains and snakes i mean so i mean it's 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 definitely not for everybody and it it, you know probably should have been (laughs) pg-13 but um yeah it was it was another you know it was an indie movie i mean i i think most people probably put it as three three on the indie list indiana jones list but Uh i yeah i i liked it oh no and it's I think it's a classic example of one of those movies that suffers by comparison more than on its own. I think yeah. that if it had just come out on its own and it was not an Indiana Jones movie per se by definition and and people just saw it on its own, mm-hmm. it would be a perfectly fun, if not awesome, adventure yeah. movie. But and coming on the heels of Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's just no way. It just it yeah, doesn't, no it doesn't measure up in any sense. But I mean, it's still a fun movie. And it just that just tells you how good Raiders of the Lost Ark is. And it is, and it, but, but it has some really great, like the opening scene, it's a musical number um, of yeah. Anything Goes, sung in Anything Chinese, goes. and then it leads to uh, a, a... A salute to James Bond. Right, a James Bond-like scene with poison, uh, you know, and then uh, there's, uh, I, I mean, it's a really cool opening scene, even to just how they how he gets to the main setting of the movie, coming yeah. falling out of an airplane, landing on a raft. I mean, it's it's pretty nonstop kind of action movie um but yeah it's it's not it's again i don't think it's kind of movie he would really make now um uh, for at least, at least you know to the some of the excesses that it goes to i guess but well, it's it's fun and speaking of his his themes like we were talking about before my understanding of this is that both he and George Lucas were going through divorces at this time. And that's part of the reason that the film is so dark and that the content is so much more edgy is because they were just kind of in a place where 
they were more willing to go, you know, and, and really kind of push those boundaries. And as you as you say, he also wound up meeting his future wife on that on that set. So so everything worked out well. But that's that's just the the impression that I've been given from different documentaries is that you know part of the reason that the Temple of Doom was was so dark is because the people making it were in a very dark place. Yeah. I was thinking that he, um, I don't know. I thought he hadn't even married Amy Irving at that time, but I could be wrong. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't maybe know. he was go- going through. Yeah. I so could, I could be already, wrong. I should probably I think what say happened I just, is you know. he was already in a relationship. That's partly we made awkward. He was already in a relationship with Amy Irving, but he met Kate Capshaw on that movie and he ended up marrying her in 85, Amy Irving. And then they divorced in 89. Um, and then he ended up marrying Kate Capshaw. So I don't think he was going through a divorce at that time, but maybe there were already issues and and then they got married, but I'm not sure totally. So maybe, maybe it was just George Lucas who was getting divorced at the time. It it could be. Yeah. But he did. I mean, he's, he is, he does say himself like, yeah, I met Kate on that movie and they've been together. I guess they got married in 91, been together ever since. And, you know, have a happy marriage. And it's one of the longer Hollywood marriages, I guess, at 30 plus years. Um, So, yeah, but yeah, anyway, so you are on number nine. I'm on number nine and I'm having a hard time, man. Like I, I'm looking at what's left and there is nothing I can pick that I won't feel like I am consciously choosing a flawed option. Mm Mm-hmm. I Partially agree. because some of the some of the ones left that I think are pretty good, I haven't honestly seen, or I don't oh. feel like I know them well enough to choose them, other than just to say, "Yeah, I'm just going to take that one." Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, nuts to it. I'm going to go with War of the Worlds. I'm oh my gosh, War of the Worlds! You are amazing. Oh well, we we are like. This is funny. We're we're so much more on the same wavelength, even than I thought with these movies. Yeah. That that was my next pick, but I, it's was fine because it? it'll be. I mean, that's a great movie. I I think it's one of those underrated. I like movies. a lot of Sometimes things about dismiss it. it. Yeah, go ahead. But well, so so the whole concept is, you know, we got Tom Cruise again. So so Tom Cruise is back in the the lead role. Mm-hmm. And he's he's an estranged family man. He's got he's got a couple of kids. Uh, he's you know he's divorced. He's driving a great Mustang. Maybe my favorite part of the whole movie is his car. Okay. <laughs> and you know and he's he he works on the docks and stuff. And he's kind of a blue collar guy. And all of a sudden, just down the road, strange things happening and lightning bolts and and out of nowhere these aliens these tri- these tripod alien things start mm-hmm. just wiping out everybody oh and yeah. and the whole thing is just kind of a, a chase where he's trying to get his kids to safety nobody knows how to stand up to these guys and it's just kind of this impossible odds type thing it's based on the hg wells novel uh, which i can't remember if i've read i know i'm familiar with it and they you know they've made other movies of this book in the past mm-hmm. um but i think the biggest weakness is that it has a 100% logical ending but a very anticlimactic ending. Mm. And so yeah. It's like I really do like this movie. I like a lot of it. There are different parts that I really like, but I can't say that I would ever call it one of my absolute favorite Spielberg movies because even though it's 100% faithful to the book, 
I think it almost because of that works better as a book than a movie because the ending is just not very cinematic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your thoughts? Yeah, I I didn't really think about it that way. I do remember people kind of laughing or poo-pooing the ending um, because it's like, oh, really? That's what can kill the aliens, you know? Um, right. It does. It did seem anticlimactic, but it was. I, I guess I was so just taken in by the whole journey of it, um, and I think it was Tim Robbins had an interesting role in it. Yeah, um, yeah, he has a pretty and, memorable part. Yeah, that I I think uh, basically that it was um, it was it was good, and it's funny that's right after. Uh, no, I guess it was it was about three years after Minority Report. But yeah, he worked with Tom Cruise, you know, twice in a row. Uh-huh. Um, and see, I for the for the record, I would put Minority Report ahead of War of the Worlds. So oh, okay. if you if you if you hadn't taken Minority Report, I would take yeah. it absolutely before War of the Worlds. But I do like War of the Worlds. I just mm-hmm. like I said, it's I I see it as a lowercase G good sci fi film with admitted flaws. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All okay. right, your final choice. Final choice. I am going with. Um, I am going to go with the movie right after War of the Worlds, Munich. Um, okay. That one is a. Uh, it's again. It's. I mean, Steven Spielberg's Jewish. He's made several movies, several references to it. In fact, we didn't even talk about this, but The Fablemans has some, you know, anti-Semitism in it that he deals with, um, and this is about. And it's interesting that he made this movie because it really asked the question of when is retribution too far? Like, you yeah. know, Israel has a right to protect itself, I believe, and, and they do have a right to defend itself against attacks. But what happened in the 1972 Summer Olympics in Munich, um, there was a Palestinian group that ki- like kidnapped and killed a bunch of members of the Israeli Olympic team. So it was a huge event, a huge tragedy where they just massacred a bunch of people. I think some of them were killed like later, like within a day or two of the kidnapping. And basically then this is where coming down from from the prime minister of Israel, there is like a team put together to hunt down the, the killers. And... Like, so the movie is really about like, okay, like what if there's collateral damage on the way? Like what if there's other people that get in the way or how, how can they be sure they're, you know, what they're doing is right and, and how kind of it affects the people involved in it, especially the main guy who's played by Eric Bana. Um, and then there's, there's a, you know, and again, it's an imperfect movie. That's why it's near the end of my list. There's a flawed movie about, uh, a flood scene near the end. I just didn't love i guess i don't really want to spoil it um but you know i i think it's a it's a good good movie about the cost the psychological cost of revenge maybe on the people yeah. who have to carry it out yeah. um and again it's all of his people he works with uh, janusz kaminski who's the cinematographer john williams does the music for it seems like he does almost every spielberg movie um and it was written by tony kushner and this might have been the first time spielberg worked oh, okay. with him um, but you know, he helped with West Side Story and the Fablemans. And so it's, it was a good movie. It was another movie that was like, it, 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 you know, it was, it was up for a lot of awards and did well and got a lot of nominations. And, uh, um, 
but you know, it wasn't a feel good or happy movie. I guess it wasn't really a typical Spielberg movie in a lot of ways, um, as far as being really popular and, um, you know, not for kids either. So, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's definitely a good one. Uh, it, to me, it deserves, well, you know, near the top of Spielberg. And that's, yeah, and that's that's one that I would have considered if I had seen it all the way through. I honestly can't remember if I've seen this one. Oh, okay. I know, I know the story. I know some of the things you're talking about. I'm not sure if I've just seen it in bits and pieces or I've just heard it. I don't think I've ever actually sat down and watched this all the way through, and so I couldn't because it definitely strikes me as one of the remaining genuine quality movies left. Yeah. In fact, after like my number ten choice. I don't even, you know, it's the, the, the end, the tail end of my list is not strong. Okay. I will, I will, (laughs) I will say that. Um, because now I'm looking. And so since you didn't choose it, I'm almost thinking that I will not choose it just so that we can kind of agree to withhold judgment. If that is right. Because part of me would want to pick the Fablemans for number oh, 10. Yeah. But I just saw it two days ago. Yeah, it's, I know. And it's still so fresh in our minds. Maybe it, maybe it belongs on the list, but I, I wasn't planning right. on picking it. You know, right. I, and so, yeah. well, especially compared to what we're still looking at. And, you know, maybe, maybe I just need to pick one and then we can kind of do the... Yeah, uh, why, why do you pick like one? Because like I said, of- I... We can do I think, I think the, the more interesting thing is to be talking about what we haven't chosen. Uh-huh. And so, cause so I'm, so I'm looking at what's left and I think the only one that I have seen more than once that I know for sure is the terminal. Oh, okay. Which is not a great, I mean, it's not bad. It's a perfectly watchable. It's a fun, cute movie. You know, Tom Hanks is kind of being Tom Hanks in kind of a quirky, weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, not a great movie, not something I would ever buy. I think it was kind of because yeah, you know how sometimes when you just want to watch something while you're eating lunch yeah. or something, you yeah. don't go for like the greatest movies of all time. You just kind of want to watch something that is simple on and, the background. Yeah, yeah, and that's the terminal, right? So yeah, I guess begrudgingly I'm shaking the terminal as my number ten. Uh-huh. Um, but then. This I'm I'm gonna use this to lead into my my discussion of some of these others, because like I remember Bridge of Spies was good, but I remember almost nothing about it. Yeah, and I could not record. I mean, I know it's about a spy who it is about a spy exchange on a bridge, and mm-hmm. I know it's that that one Mark guy, <laughs> yeah, Rylance. Mark Rylance, who surprisingly yeah. won the Oscar over um. Oh, yeah. I can't remember if it was that was the Sylvester Stallone year. Okay. Uh, for Creed, I think it was. I, everybody thought that Stallone was going to win. Oh, right, and right. And so, yeah. yeah, so so it's like, well, I think I would be taken more seriously if I chose Bridge of Spies, but I barely even remember anything about Bridge of Spies. And Ready Player One was fun, but kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't. It's not something that I've wanted to go back and rewatch a bunch of times. Um, neither of us picked artificial intelligence, which is interesting. I know for me, it's because I never actually saw it. I boycotted. Oh, okay. It. I I that was close for me. Um, I 
Ah, uh, yeah, that's such an interesting movie. I um, I probably should have picked it. It really is good. It's another future movie. Um, the ending is so weird that it's hard for me to get it out of my mind. Yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely great. I think it's it's really cool movie, and and it does ask interesting questions too about like not just whether a human can truly love a robot like that a childlike uh-huh. robot that's meant to replace it, your child but could a could a robot love a human because a robot yeah. can be programmed to do everything that shows the act of love and provide love to a human and um but it it does it doesn't have a soul right does it, you don't you need like right. a soul to love so i don't know like it's it has a lot of interesting things and apparently that people used to believe, uh, I guess, that Kubrick, that Spielberg departed from Kubrick's vision because it was originally supposed to be a Kubrick movie. Oh, okay. But like he says, no, even even the ending, everything that's in there, that's Kubrickian. That's Kubrick. Okay. He tries to give the credit to Kubrick. Um, it's another movie that's very interesting because it was very very high expectations, didn't do well. A lot of critics, some didn't like it, some loved it. But it's gone through sort of a critical reappraisal in the last few years as among as among his Spielberg's best. So I don't know. I think you should watch it all the way through and see what you think. Um, yeah, Bridge of Spies, you mentioned. Uh, that was a good one. It was fine. Just a fine, like, interesting, yeah. war, you know, uh, drama, right. sort of Cold War drama. And I think uh, Tom Hanks plays a... You know, it's, it's, I get, it would be hard to represent like a traitor or, you know, just like a terrorist, like some of these yeah. lawyers had to represent terrorists in, during the, the early 2000s. And of course, they're hated uh-huh. for it. But, and then, sorry, oh, the terminal. Yeah. I just watched that for the first time about a year ago. Oh, yeah. And, and I, and again, I feel like you did. I, oh, that was fun. Like it was like a cute movie and kind of an interesting premise and sort of a bottle episode of a TV show. Like, the whole thing, you know, takes place in one location, basically. But um, I did. Uh, it's funny. Spielberg said that that's Tom Hanks's greatest performance. It's one oh, yeah. of those funny things that like a director can get away with saying, and and you have to kind of maybe take it seriously. Like, oh, is that real? Like, he really yeah, says that. He of, knows. He knows. Of. Like, no one agrees <laughs> with him. Like, he he's not dumb, right? He knows that nobody would agree with him, but he just he loves that this American everyman. America's dad, Tom Hanks, is playing a guy from a fictional Eastern European country called Krakovia or something. And uh-huh. um, but it, but he's a he's a sympathetic character. It's not like he's any kind of a villain oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but he yeah he loves it. Like the little mannerisms, the way he holds his head, the way he he almost just like he has this way of acting. I don't know how to describe it. Like he acts like a, a foreigner. I mean, the accent's great, whatever he, whatever accent he's doing. But um, yeah, it was it was a cool one. It was a cool movie. Stanley Tucci, I always like seeing him in movies. Right, right. Um, so yeah, what a list. Any others so, that so, you're? Yeah. Well, so I never saw Amistad, and I know that's another kind of a prestige type movie that he was. You know, that's it's more in his prestige category. Um, I couldn't pick it because I don't like. I said I haven't seen it. Yep. Always is another kind of 80s one that um, I know I've seen. I don't remember a whole lot about. I think it was probably a good movie, but definitely not enough to kind of get on my list. Uh, The Post was from a few years ago, and I remember nothing about it except it's about a newspaper. 
Mm-hmm. It's I remember almost literally nothing about it. Um, Sugarland Express is one of his early. If that might be his first official theatrical feature, but yeah. I still haven't gotten around to seeing it. Yeah. Um, 1941 is kind of his infamous kind of dog comedy in the midst of all of his great, you know, great late 70s, early 80s movies. I didn't think either of us were going to consider that one. Same thing with Crystal Skull. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I guess Hook is one that was kind of in appreciated at the time, but I don't know. I yeah. don't really care for it. Um, I, I remember enjoying Hook. I saw in the theater. I was probably 14 or 15, and it, it was it was fine. It was a little yeah. weird. Uh, a lot of I weird mean, elements to it. We, did, but I mean, we didn't mention Lost World, which is oh, the yeah. sequel to your number one choice. Uh-huh. But, but maybe that says something right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I um, So... So AI or no? Oh, Amistad, I haven't seen, so I don't know. I can't comment on it. We neither of us have seen that. I guess always I liked it. A kind of a you know a love a love story that was based right. on an old forties movie that Spielberg really liked. That um, might have been his first remake, sort of, but I don't remember. It would have been in eighty nine. Um, uh-huh. The Post is a, a journalism movie that yeah, it wasn't super memorable. I've never seen Sugarland Express. Did you say you've okay. seen that or you haven't seen it? No, it's so I have it as part of I have like this Spielberg set of like all okay. of his early movies. Um but I just I haven't watched it. Um the BFG I seen... Nope. No way. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh Warhorse I did not see. I don't I remember the movie existing. I never saw it. Same thing with Tin Tin. Uh and that's just about, I think that's about it, right? Yeah. Um, BFG, I, I, it was fine, but I didn't, um, I, yeah, I didn't care for it, I guess. It wasn't great. Ready Player One, I was very disappointed in because um, I liked the book a lot. And it, the funny thing is the book is like a tribute to Spielberg in some ways. So it was really weird yeah. for Spielberg to direct the movie version. And he changed some things in it. And he's a huge fan of The Shining. So he put The Shining in that as oh, the, right, right. sort of the movie experience they go through instead of um, War Games. But So I, I loved the book. And I do want to read the sequel. I know Ready Player Two came out. Um, but the movie just felt... It just was empty in a lot of ways. And not... It just didn't do it for me, I guess. Um but, well, you know, I'll tell you what, man. If we weren't already at, a, at an hour and 40 minutes, yeah, I think yeah, that there's even more analysis we could do just because <laughs> another thing I thought was going to be interesting, and maybe we follow up on this later, was not just to see which movies we picked, but which eras we concentrated on. Because as I was looking over these, one of the questions I had personally was, am I going to choose anything after the 90s? <laughs> yeah. Because well, I have Lincoln. liked a lot of his, yeah, like yeah. I have liked a lot of his movies in the last twenty years, but not nearly as much as mm-hmm. none. None of them are favorites. None of well, them are favorites. I notice we're both children of the nineties, eighties, and nineties. Because you look at our first four picks, three of them are nineties. Like yeah, out but, of my first two like, and your first two. But I don't know. Can you pick out anybody? Do you honestly think that any other two critics who are ten years older than us, ten years younger than us, twenty years younger than us? are going to choose other movies than the ones that we chose with the no, first combined no, I agree 10 with selections. You. 
Well, I, I agree with you because, like, like I said, your your first four movies were all in my top ten, and and they're all classics. I mean, they're all yeah, just, and like and vice versa. They de- right? they they deserve it, like absolutely those first four. And so, I don't have any problem with those picks, and and I agree. I I think that most people that are looking at you know his career are going to pick those late seventies and early eighties. You know, at, they're yeah. all they're all going to make the list, like. You right. talk about Jaws, Close Encounter, and Close Encounters, and E.T., and maybe throw Raiders in there. Those are all just top ten by probably everybody. Um, yeah. And then we yeah. have our unique picks, you know, I guess, like The Terminal and West Side Story, whatever. <laughs> you know, I catch well, me if you can. Unique unique, just because we had to have ten choices. Well, but I, but no, even even for your list, I don't, I don't know if a lot of people would put Terminal at ten, you know. They probably mm-hmm. go with the the post. Well, because it's not it's not my top bridges. ten either. It's my top well, ten when I am choosing against. You're right. Person. You're right. Yeah. It's I guess top I mean, twenty. You say it's like that, that's what that's what 20. I'm saying. Is like this is this yeah. is kind of like you know I would I would fully say that I would choose two thirds of your list ahead of yeah the terminal online. exactly yeah like I so, I didn't have Temple of Doom in my top ten or Munich but yeah. it was like yeah oh well you. No, because I would know. even even beyond like your top ones, I would pick Temple of Doom. I would pick Catch Me If You Can. I would pick Minority Report. I would, you know, even West Side Story. I probably would have to rank, you know, at or near my you know terminal list. I haven't seen Munich, and so I can't honestly, and I haven't seen Color Purple either, and so mm. okay. so that kind of disqualifies some of them for me. But yeah, no, still. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess if we're going to have a record length of a podcast, it, it, it makes sense to do it while uh, reviewing the career of Steven Spielberg. I know. Yeah, this is a long one, but that's okay. Like, we'll... Yeah. I, yeah. Yep. I like it. All right. Well, those of you who are still with us, thank you so much. We appreciate you. And uh, I don't think, you know, anybody who's listening to the end of this thing, we don't have to remind them to go and give us positive ratings and all that stuff. They're probably already done it. Uh, yeah. Uh, hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving holiday or whatever is going on at the time you listen to us. Um, we'll look forward to getting back with you soon. And uh, wherever you're at, be excellent to each other and see you soon.